Welcome to the prequel at the end of the book, uh, the Winchesters podcast. We're hosts Rachel, Jen, and Lyd, and today our producer is Emma. This is the first episode of our fondly named Jerry Natural miniseries that will lead up to the series premiere of the Winchesters on October 9th. Today's episode will be covering season eight, episode 12 of Supernatural, As Time Goes By, written by Adam Glass and directed by Serge Ladusset. Okay, so for those who may not have seen the episode for a long time or have not seen the episode at all, here's a brief synopsis. The episode opens in 1958 with Henry Winchester attending an initiation ceremony for a mysterious group known as the Men of Letters. Josie, a fellow initiate, begins attacking the others and reveals herself to be possessed by a demon named Abaddon, who is a formidable knight of hell. Entrusted with a key to the Men of Letters stronghold bunker, Henry casts a spell that allows him to flee through time, attempting to contact his son, John, in the future, in order to thwart Abaddon. Instead, he arrives in the year 2013 and meets his grandsons, Sam and Dean. The brothers are initially mistrustful of Henry, and the feeling is mutual, as the men of letters were an academic bunch who took an intellectual approach to studying the supernatural and considered hunters to be beneath them. Their relationship is further complicated by Dean's resentment towards Henry over his perceived abandonment of John. Despite their differences, the three work together to contact the last living member of the organization and stop Abaddon's plans of gaining access to the resources available in the bunker. However, Henry is killed in the conflict with Abaddon, leaving him unable to return to the past to raise his son, and Sam and Dean as the last stewards of the Men of Letters' many secrets. So there's a lot about this episode that's going to tie into what the prequel is going to look like. And it's also already shaping the expectations people have. What do you you guys think um, about how this is going to affect what we're seeing in October? Well, so, I mean, there is a lot in this episode that I feel like people have pointed to as like being the reason why it doesn't make sense based on the trailer. Cause like John didn't know about the men of letters, like, but there's a lot in the episode that I feel like makes me believe that this is an episode that Robbie watched a lot when he was kind of building the idea for the prequel and how it would work because in the trailer for the show you know John reads this line that I think is supposedly a letter from Henry where they use the line as long as there's a Winchester alive there's hope and this episode it's not exactly the same it's you're also Winchesters as long as we're alive there's hope but that's the first time it's said, and it's said by Henry. And I feel like to pull like a line that's that clearly like relating to like a theme that they're probably going to explore in the show. That line. Yeah, it feels really it's, pointed. Like yeah, especially given yeah. how the show ended, it's very pointed. <laughs> that too. That too. Um, considering you know, in our SPN Prime universe, there are no Winchesters alive. Or, well, I guess Dean Jr., but, like, I don't know. Fuck that kid. You know? No, fuck that kid. <laughs> fuck that kid. <laughs> yeah. You can um, stay in the field he's running in. Thanks. That can be our tagline, the prequel at the end of the book. Fuck that kid. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that can tie into kind of, like, later in the podcast when we talk about theories and stuff. But um, yeah. I remember when I was going through the episode to piggyback off of that line I also really got hung up on the whole time travel thing and you know just knowing how Robbie he is 
you know, kind of known for his unconventional episodes and storytelling. So anyway, I, I like geeked out um, thinking that like, you know, there can be connections to blood with the blood sigil and, and, and all of that and time travel because that could help them because they really have like a narrow, for the prequel, they have like a very narrow time, place of time that they can explore in. Like even if they were to go all the way until like Sam and Dean were born, it's still a very narrow set of parameters, basically. They don't have an infinite universe to ex like explore if you keep renewing the show. So to me, when watching the episode, I just kept getting hung up on time travel, specifically because Dean kept saying, I hate time travel, you know, F time travel. Like he does not like time travel. And so I would find it hilarious if the prequel features quite a bit of time travel. <laughs> I also find it just super fascinating because like this is season eight of Supernatural. Like most shows, this would probably be like the last season or winding down the show. <laughs> and after this episode, you still have half of the show to go. So like, I find it really interesting that they introduced this piece of like lore essentially. Well, I um, watched the uh, episode with Singer and Jeremy Carver and Adam Glass, like, commenting on it. And they were saying that, like, originally, like, they, they weren't planning on putting, like, Men of Letters is not supposed to be, like, this big thing, I guess, what? is what they were saying originally. Yeah, they were saying, uh, I have written down, they said, the original idea was the hotel at the end of time, and it was just supposed to be, like, a one-off. I guess is is the is the um, no way <laughs> is the vibe I was what? getting from what they were saying. what yeah and then it um, turned into an episode that completely changed I love I do love that title yeah. not gonna lie the phrase the hotel at the end of time is incredible that sounds I know. terrifying terrifying um, also a little bit Doctor Who-ish weirdly enough yeah but um yeah they they were talking about how like they were really making this one up as they went. And I don't know who's, I think, I think Carver was like, was like, yeah, we were kind of making this up as we went. And Singer was like, you weren't supposed to tell him that. Like, <laughs> like that's. that's <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah. That is like super interesting to me. Cause it's like, that's a pretty big piece of. <laughs> yeah. It changes the whole trajectory of the show. Yeah, and right, literally. A That's setting. fascinating. Yeah, it gave them a home. Dean nests in that bunker. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And and Abaddon comes back even in season nine. Yeah. It's it's amazing how like this was supposed to be just like a one off monster of the Damn. week, but it establishes all this lore about John, yeah. his Jeez. upbringing. Like the little sliver of upbringing that we get yeah. in John's little past. Yeah. And then also, the episode was supposed to end, it ends on the boys, but it was supposed to end with John waking up the next morning and his dad's gone. Um, I don't know with, with little John. And yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, why didn't y'all do that? <laughs> Dad's gone missing. You know, he hasn't been home in a while. You have oh, to go man. find him. Wow. Yeah. That's the amazing cycles of Watching fathers and sons, man. <laughs> It's just amazing because, like, I feel like, you know, like you said, 
Rachel, that you think that, and I, I agree, that Robbie really watched this episode probably a lot to establish the baseline, where to jump off from mm-hmm. for John's character, probably. Like, his motivations and everything, because it's this is really the only episode we have about his upbringing. Yeah. So... Um, it, so it's hilarious to me that it is intended, it was intended to be like a, just a monster of the week one-off and not really, yeah. but instead we just get the same, that the bunker set for the rest of the show, yeah. you know, <laughs> cause like, I don't know if, if, cause I feel like at that point, like when they gave them the key, I feel like at that point, you know, like, okay, they're going to go find the bunker and it's going to be like a big thing. And, like, the Men yeah. of Letters is going to be, like, you know, permanent. I don't know if they meant just, like, when they first started, like, with Henry's, like, it was just supposed to be, like, just about Henry. At, I don't know what they meant, but they. Like, just, like, a filler, like, character episode, and then they threw yeah, in the key, yeah, and it became were, something more. Yeah, and then I guess, like, as they, as they were writing it, it became something, became something more, and they were like, oh, shit, yeah. like, this is some lore that we're putting in here. <laughs> and, like, I've had, like sort of mixed feelings about the introduction of the men of letters just in terms of like I don't know the the ethical quandaries you run into with like museums as well but in terms of the world of the show it was such a smart thing to do especially Mm -hmm. since it did run for so much longer because like Mm -hmm. it just there's now we have like this whole magical library basically it's really only so much you can do with yeah there's so much I think part of it too is that there is this hunter community we see a little bit in season two of original supernatural with joe and ellen and Mm -hmm. rufus and bobby you you see this hunting community but sam and dean aren't a part of it they've never been part of a community and so we don't know how for hunters information is shared or where it's Mm -hmm. stored or is there this database and to know there's a separate organization with the men of letters that has been archiving all this knowledge and that it's been lost for decades is a total game changer what really gets me about that is that seemingly no other hunter knew angels existed but men of letters did but like that seemingly was buried once they were kind of all destroyed because like no hunter ever talked about angels dean didn't dean didn't believe in angels no one ever talked about angels Mm -hmm. and yet henry has an angel feather in order to do this spell you know they know about angels but because and he said in the episode that men of letters only shares their information with a select few hunters like the elite of the hunters and that's it right so somewhere this information about stuff got lost and so i don't know if by prequel time for us like you know 20 years no less than 20 years after henry goes missing the information is lost as well i don't know if you know when mary says you know angels are watching over you does she know that angels exist like where where did the information about angels die off i'm not including the british men of letters because they're a con they're like an ocean away and so far as we know this is just america uh so (laughs) that really got me when i i didn't i didn't process when i first watched this episode that the men of letters knew about angels and demons like to the point that they did um so i will say they were wrong about the knights of hell being all dead though um because aren't they we meet a bunch of them over the course of the show so they had bad intel on that but also (laughs) it just makes me very excited yeah like ramiel in season 12 right he's a knight of hell 
And didn't they like... Ramiel's a prince of hell. Oh, he's a prince of hell. Oh, I mixed those guys up, don't I? But it says up, a lot. Don't I? Yeah. It says oh. a lot, though, when Henry is, yeah. you know, say, is really disappointed to find out that Sam and Dean are hunters because they're apes. They don't know anything yeah. about the world. They're just thugs. They're just weapons, basically. When Henry's not even a full man of letters yet, Henry knows so little, little. and he's so yeah. high and mighty about it. Yeah. I, like, yeah. I remember one of my notes, I was just like, white nerd boy. Like, that's all I wrote. Was, <laughs> He's like, like my Sam. adventures were literary. Like Sam. Yeah, like Sam. Like Sam. Nerds. Yeah. Just nerds. <laughs> you know, I, um, yeah, so I, I'll be interested, like, because in the prequel, at least in the trailer, yeah, obviously they're kind of already exploring the Men of Letters stuff. But to me, that means that they also, hopefully, will know about angels or something. Like, or they'll obviously angels are going to be like, like. They yeah, like I'm there, like, so like angels have to be in the show, in yeah. my opinion. So it's like, who's the angel? There has to be, one of the one of them is an angel. Why someone's did they an put angel? There's the some... barn scene in the trailer. If it's not Cass, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Why is that in there? I just part of me is, is this Cass anyway. Anyway, it's just like it's the angel thing. But yeah, no, no, no. The cast shot is is suspicious. And it's just reminding me about the fact that in, in as time goes by, yeah. we learn that the men of letters always knew angels exist. How the how did they get an angel feather? Like, where did they get that from? Did they just politely ask an angel? Did an angel reveal Also the fact that them? they have actual feathers too. Like they have, you yeah. know, wings that they can pull into our plane, which is like cool to me, but you know. Yeah. I, I Northern like Sparrow got some points on that one, so. So it's just like hilarious to me that these men of letters pre, like, you know, 70s, I'll just mark it at 1972, I guess knew an angel? Yeah. Do angels shed? Did they just happen to fall <laughs> together? <laughs> like, like, it's just fascinating to me. I don't know if they'll go into it in the prequel, but I like this insinuation that the men of letters always knew about angels and, and like somewhere along the them. line. Yeah. Yeah. Had access. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Had access to them. Yeah. And that knowledge got buried. And yeah. no hunter knew. knew about them. Yeah. And I just, I love that so much. Yeah. While we're talking about angels, do we want to get into John's backstory and how this might tie into Heaven's plans for him? Yeah. So I, man, I like, where do I want to start? Oh, should we like mention also like, you know, that John was born in 1954, Henry time traveled in 1958. Um, John was the same age when he lost his father as Dean was when he lost Mary. Um, you know, I guess it's not a great time to be a four-year-old in the world of Supernatural, but <laughs> it's, uh, I do wonder if it was intentional or accidental. I don't know. That feels like one of those things that might have been a happy accident. It may have been. Yeah. I think, yeah, but especially knowing that, like, they didn't, knowing that they went into this episode without really knowing where it was going, I feel like that might have been an accident. But I find it interesting though that that is what happened just because of the stuff going on with dean and how he is you know relating to henry in the episode and you know dean's reaction and like really bolstering his father up it's almost like indignation like how dare 
Henry show his face. Yeah. It, it was an interesting attitude to take. I have a fun fact, Jen, because actually Singer and Carver and Glass, they all touched on that when they when they were talking about Glass was saying it was they rewrote the scene of Henry meeting Dean and Henry meeting the guys like so many times. He's like, we were in there for like days just like rewriting that because they could not get the tone right. And so I don't know, I just I guess that's the tone they were going for was like Dean being like, they had no idea how they wanted like Jensen to act it, I guess. Or like what, like they're trying to figure out like, how do we make this so it seems real? If your grandfather were to pop out of your closet. (laughs) The grandfather that you have been told ran out on your father and probably used as like, you know, a reason justifying John's attitude about certain things as you're growing up, basically. Mm -hmm. Like he's just like this because he, his father abandoned him, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's justification of, okay, I can understand why my dad's like this. And it's uh, it's giving leeway to John of, well, he hasn't left us. He hasn't walked out on me, even though he has. Just yeah. leaving your, your, leaving your kids in motion two days at a time counts. He comes back. He always comes yeah. back until he doesn't. And I think the thing about Dean in this episode that, like, is so interesting and, like, I guess smart in terms of the subtlety of it is how a lot of what he says to Henry to me reads as stuff he wish he could have said to John. And then also what he thinks John should have gotten to say to Henry, you know, Mm -hmm. as a, as a parent Mm -hmm. or like as a parent that was not there to be his parent. Um, And so like, that's the thing about this that like, drives me the most insane to be honest about this episode just because there's so much there that I just think is super fascinating in terms of Dean and like how he rationalizes things for himself in his head yeah you know kind of like the knowledge knowledge that I feel like the understanding between both Dean and Henry that John will never know what happened and kind of like dealing with that you know it's kind of like if when you like lose someone in real life and yeah. you real you gotta get like the moment of clarity like oh I'll never be able to talk to them again you know so it's like like I understand Henry wanted to go back because you know both of them kind of understand they know what happened now but there's no way to let John know what happened you know yeah um I don't even think by this point we even know where John is in the afterlife like where the hell did he go yeah uh, but um <laughs> It, it's I felt like a lot of sadness like with that talk it mm-hmm. was kind of just like like Dean would want John to understand yeah. what happened Henry would want John to understand what happened but none of them can tell yeah because they can't you know and that's very depressing to me yeah. <laughs> um and I guess the question of, of after that too is like you know how much would have changed if if Henry did get to go back, you know, yeah. uh, how, how different would, would John have been? Would he have really been all that different if, you know, he gets back, but he's still, John's still like Mary's Mary, like who knows? Um, so there's a lot of like questions and what ifs in the question of like, would it actually it, have changed anything? Especially like when you think of it in the context of like, SPN Prime with, you know, Chuck and all that. But 
also another digression that we can come back to. (laughs) It's it's sad to me because um, you realize, like, if you start bringing the Chuck stuff um, and all the Angel stuff, like to bring it back with Angels and stuff like that, it feels like even if Henry managed to go back, something would have happened. I feel like no matter what, John had to get to where he was in the state that he was when we were introduced to him mm-hmm. in order to make Sam and Dean the kind of person they were in order to fuel the the narrative how it was supposed to go. Because yeah. like, like if everything else was hunky-dory, then they definitely would not have wound up the way they yeah. wound up. Like, oh, definitely not. Um, so. And then it's, it's also it's like, kind of ties in we're gonna talk about this in a future episode also but like with the angels and all of that like and this sort of predestination that we already know was planned for them from the original show like you know how much how much of sam and dean's lives and then also how much of john's life and how much of mary's life um when we you know get to the prequel one thing i thought was super interesting that isn't part of the core episode of as time goes by is that in the previously on in the then section of the episode it includes clips about john and the little we know about john's life but it also includes information of an episode we'll be talking about later in this mini series my bloody valentine when you find out that john and mary were put together were matchmaked by match matchmaked is that a word matchmaked yeah. by yeah, cupid by cupid <laughs> and as time goes by is an episode that doesn't deal with mary at all so why include it it's such an intentional choice and one that yeah. caught my attention right away when i started this rewatch yeah. and so like that and then also just like thinking about this episode in conjunction with the prequel definitely like had my wheels turning as far as like how much interference will we be getting on the show from heaven and angels if we know that they're gonna be there they have to be there but like you know so like how much interference are we going to be getting because we've already had a hint to how much interference there has been in sam and dean's lives i feel like naturally that must extend to john and mary and their families so well this 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 is like a side tangent but when I was going, I went through the trailer a lot because I was doing like little doodles for like fan art and stuff. And I was noticing the shots that were certain color gradation, but also where the lens flares were. Because I know there has been, mm. even every season, every showrunner, every season, even if it's in the same show, at least this is what I've been told. This is what the assumption I've been going off of for a while. Color theory is can change right and set stuff can change but in supernatural like even though color theory had changed from season to season it's mostly stayed the same with meaning about other things and one of those things is when you can tell something is not real or you're in heaven right Mm -hmm. so one of the big things was the lens flares right so when in the trailer when you know when she's turned around and she's like you don't want any part of this life or what i forgot what it was but she's like in front of that like theater and you see the mm-hmm. lens flares behind her and it's like like is that gonna be are, are we gonna know when we're getting screwed with like by heaven specifically when we see lens flares because the lens flares weren't in the entire 
trailer, right? It's one of those things where I'm just like, yeah. are we already seeing the little tells of what? Yeah. Or um, even like the, I know that there are a couple of the like TV static interlays yeah. in there also. So like. Over the know. cast shot, which haunts yes. me. Yeah. And will continue to haunt me until the premiere. Yeah. God, that just reminds me of, of Dark Side of the Moon every single time. Though it's funny because for anyone who watched the trailer who never saw Supernatural, they wouldn't know who the hell that is. Like, you're just like, they oh, know. just some shadow of a guy. You know, like, they don't even know <laughs> yeah. if that's an angel. We know who that is. The angel. <laughs> the only angel that matters. So I find that also interesting that they chose to put that in because for some yeah. audiences, they won't know who the hell that is unless they have seen our gifts like over and over and over and over again, which I would assume some of the newbies probably have, like newbies as in new people to the prequel. But for us, we're freaking out because it's like a half a second yeah. clip of cast with a TV static overlay mm. over it. And we're like, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> so yeah, I found that in the trailer between the orange filter, which I think was discussed about anyway. Like I think most of maybe the prequel will feel like that anyway the black and white, um, some of the slow motion, and then the the lens flares. It'll be interesting how they like deal with all of that yeah. and kind of touch on angel interference because bringing up the fact that in the then portion of As Time Goes By, the angel interference, and yet we didn't see any of that in the yeah. episode. I just, I'm just, what does it all mean? You had a good quote, or note too in preparation for recording this about how far does that interference go back so were henry and millie matchmaked by heaven yeah. were samuel and deanna do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah because i find it interesting that you never meet millie but you meet josie you know like maybe were they crushing on each other or something and then angel swooped in and we're like nope you gotta you gotta go be with millie thanks you gotta go have John with her because Josie you know. has her own fate to yeah sort of jo meet. Josie is slated to yeah. do this Josie is not go is not the bloodline we need for you ooh, um, I just like ooh, okay that yeah. gave me weird emotions <laughs> yeah <laughs> to think about man especially yeah. thinking about in the prequel with this in uh, with this ensemble cast it's not lost on me that there can be other relationships going on yeah. not John and Mary which will be really sad <laughs> Because we know yeah. where it's going to end. Which it, this, that's one of the things about the show, about the prequel, that's kind of one of the most sort of interesting parts of it and why I'm so excited for it is I want to see how they get to this end that we know it has to be a tragedy. There's no other ending for this show. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I also I think, think it's just interesting it. to think about next to like Dean at the end of As Time Goes By too, because Sam learns about like this convergence of the men of letters legacy and the hunter legacy. And he's like, this is incredible. Like we, you know, both of these things combined, we can like do great things with this. And like, it's super important. Maybe this was all supposed to happen. And Dean is there saying like, all I see is dead family. Like we have nobody but each other. All mm -hmm. it got us was dead people, our loved ones gone. I just think it's really interesting to kind of look at those two different perspectives and like see. It, this is totally tangent, not at all important to what we're talking about. But my my friend, she met Gil a few a year or a few years ago, pre pre COVID, I guess, and she got to talk to Gil about like this episode. Um, 
and I had her, I was like, can you send me everything that he said about this episode? Um, that like he, Gil plays Henry for those who, who don't know, who are listening. Yeah, Gil um, but yeah, anyway, so, and he, and he just told her that um, Adam Glass, who wrote this episode, talked to, talked to him and um, Elena Huffman, who plays Josie, who plays Abaddon, um, about how it, he made, he, I guess he wanted to emphasize that like, Henry he wanted to show that Henry like never treated Josie any different because because she was a woman for being in the men of letters but anyway it that that's all that that's that was my input there because yeah I have like a low-key like Henry Josie like shipper heart even though only like (laughs) one of them she wasn't even her but you know it's like it's like the what-ifs um but also going back to like kind of like what we talked about earlier with like the men of letters and their wealth of knowledge and kind of getting lost over time it reminded me about another thing because we've been focusing a lot on like john and millie that whole thing the campbells have a family library too with you know that vampire cure that to me is like a men of letters thing like so i'm wondering if the campbells are one of those elite hunters that yeah Yeah. like the, the knowledge their library is also lost for I mean, they found it again for like season six and then it just got lost again. So it's kind of like now you have these two banks of knowledge, right? And it will be interesting to see if the men of letters are connected to the Campbells in any way. How else are they going to figure that out? How how yeah. else does a hunter figure out a, a cure for vampirism? And how does that get lost <laughs> over time? You know, like. I'm so excited to see like, I, I just like can't, my mind is like going like a million miles a minute. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's just like, that's what makes it so exciting. I'm just like, how the fuck are they going to pull those off? <laughs> and this episode just gives me so many like brainworms about the yeah. directions they might go and like how like John's backstory might end up being like explained in the show one just like little teeny thing that i personally noticed is i wonder how they're gonna get from normal illinois to lawrence kansas but that's, yeah you know and who's john's old man who's john's old man yeah he somehow went from illinois to kansas and millie is seemingly a single mother this entire time and who's his old man like yeah. what the hell? timelines who knows unreliable narrators Take, I know like taking a step back it's like it's like how on earth it, John just has like what like this like y- few years of his like early like what 20s where he just doesn't fucking remember anything like I, I just you know yeah. <laughs> imagine that happening to you though like imagine <laughs> awful or even that yeah, he has fake memories put in fake memories you know? mm-hmm. like I just like Ooh. it's like anything's possible at this point you know everyone's like oh but what about canon this canon that i'm like the canon allows for actually a lot of things yeah. if you like yeah. draw it back out I mean, because the canon has like gone back on itself enough times anyway that you can yeah. kind of do whatever you want and figure out a way to explain it you know yeah like yeah. in a show with 327 episodes yeah. something's gonna contradict another thing yeah but also with Robbie that's not something I'm quite as concerned about because he apologized for a little tiny Grand Canyon slip up so (laughs) you know I think he's keeping track of things (laughs) I don't know if it was him Adam there was something I thought it was him something about Crowley and Naomi and Mesopotamia that that was that was Robbie with with Goodbye Stranger yeah he also wasn't happy about that either yeah oh wait no Bedland was the Grand Canyon was he or was it 
No, yeah, Ben sure. Edlund was Grand Canyon and Robbie was Mesopotamia. That's what it was. I think he mentioned both of them as yeah. like him kind of being hyper aware of canon. I remember yeah. I when I wrote like a little thing about the prequel, like in February, because I just needed to get it all out of me uh, and not bother all my friends on Twitter about it. I was reading through a lot of Robbie interviews and he... Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even, I feel like, an exaggeration to say that he really takes it seriously, figuring out to make sure the puzzle pieces fit. He, to use the cliche, he really did do his homework. He talked about how, like, you know, he watched through episodes of Supernatural leading up to him first starting writing for it. They gave him weird, the weird episodes. Like, he, I guess, I don't know if he didn't want to do fan fiction at first, but he thought it was an odd idea. But he was like, okay, well, I have it. So how are we going to make this work? And I feel like that's like an approach to the prequel. And I'm remembering yeah. how at a con, it was said that, no, not at a con. It was at a, in an interview, I think, where Jensen said something like, thing like, you know, I didn't think it was going to work, but Robbie came in and convinced me. Yeah, yeah. Like he convinced me, like he made it work. Therefore now yeah. I think it will work. Well, Which like, is why well, I have such faith in this. Mm-hmm. Cause like I trust him with my life. So yeah. <laughs> In terms of, like, unreliable narrator, I was also, in terms of, like, dealing with unreliable narrator, I made a note when I was watching with the way, almost insistence, I think he defends John when someone's criticizing him, but when someone's praising John, Dean criticizes him, well, to the extent of which. It's true. But that also made me realize, especially while watching this, that that, this kind of goes into, like, just Dean Meta overall for the entire show, which is basically, and he's an unreliable listener too. I feel like being told by his father that my father ran out on me and that's why I have, you know, I don't know if, if John said that's why I have issues, but Dean kind of just assumed that's why he had issues. But like, he kind of just took that at face value. And as a child, I can understand that, but kind of just being like, yeah, his father ran out of him. There was no other reason. There's no, there's no else. There's nothing else to the story. That's just how it is. Right. But obviously clearly there was, and it's, it's not like he had like any reason to think that there wasn't anything, something else, but over the course of the show, especially in season 15, this is when I noticed that he has a habit of just kind of accepting things at face value. If it can explain something that's bothering him and he doesn't have to investigate further to upset himself. So um in terms of an unreliable narrator we touched on that when we first learned that he was going to narrate the prequel you know like he's telling it to us but the the story itself is so fucked up so it's like what's the truth and he is he gonna know the truth like i don't think he knows the truth so what's going on a line that really affected me in this episode that i do have a memory like a colander but that I had forgotten that really <laughs> struck me was when Dean's talking to Henry and about how Henry is really upset over John's journal. And Dean says, I've read that thing more than anyone and it hurts every time. And he keeps going back to it. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> that's all so that, but then that's like, is John an unreliable narrator, you know? So yeah. like, which I would say like, probably cause he's like very traumatized. <laughs> by what yeah. has occurred and what causes him to start writing the journal and then that in turn you know traumatizes his kids and especially Dean so like you know it's one of those things where and especially with Dean because he's been known to rewrite his own memories if it means he you know he can protect some part of himself he's been known 
to go uh, selectively mute when emotionally disturbed by something. So it's, I don't know, it's just really interesting to me that Dean is narrating when he's like the unreliable narrator of the show. Yeah, and you know? the only thing he knows about his father and his mother are from other unreliable narrators. Yeah. So when people say, what about this canon? What about this canon? It's kind of like, well, that canon has only ever been told to us through unreliable narrators, whether it's angels trying to warp the narrative to make Dean seen things a certain way, whether it's John justifying stuff to himself in his journal as to why he's doing what he's doing, or yeah. Dean justifying stuff to him. Like, like the yeah. whole show is comprised of unreliable narration. Yeah. So <laughs> nothing is real. What is the truth? We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also, I mean, one of the other questions about Dean being the narrator is like, yeah, he's narrating for the audience, but there's got to be like a narrative purpose within the show for why he is in this position. And so I wonder in the context of the show, who he's narrating to, like there's a, and there's got to be narrating a, from. And where is he narrating from, which is another big question. And another, another one of those kind of clues in the trailer, I feel like, because the difference in tone of like the Dean scene and then the what we're calling the Scooby Crew scenes, um, the the coloring is extremely different. So mm-hmm. I I'm just very curious to see like where he's narrating from, who he's narrating for, and what that narration might look like against what we see. I think you know? one of the important things too that a lot of us like I think everyone who watched the trailer picked up on was one the necklace that I lovingly call the God Tracker, is hanging from his dashboard. He has his old mm-hmm. plate, and he's has a journal. I think it was noted twice in the show that he doesn't find journaling appealing. So, yeah. and I think one of them was even in a, maybe like a Robbie episode. Yeah. I can't remember. I have to double check. But I was, someone pointed out on Tumblr that I think in fan fiction, on the car, he hung the fake Samulet, and now it's back, but it's like the real one, supposedly. And that was a Robbie episode. So I'm just kind of like, what is the reason? Why yeah. is it there? Yeah, I'm just very, it's an interesting framing to have. For, and especially with, you know, the relationship that Dean has to like his parents' relationship and to his parents. Like, like he doesn't always see it with rose-colored glasses like that line in dark side of the moon where he's like no they were fighting already like dad had hadn't slept in the house in two nights or something like that um and he was already like as a four-year-old emotionally taking care of his mom you know and but like he still when he like feels the need to like defend their relationship and defend his father which is like understandable because he's still his dad. I just think it's interesting and I'm really intrigued to see how his relationship to them might get reframed or explored deeper in the, in the prequel. Also, I feel like the, the overwhelming question that kind of like gets lost, but we kind of touched on it earlier was why? So not even like, who is he narrating this to, but it's like, why? Why is he narrating? (laughs) Do you have any theories, Lydia? I I don't know. I don't, I probably <laughs> I'm just like I honestly am like not an analytical person, 
So just listening to y'all talk about this is helping me and preparing me for the next episode because I have never thought this deeply about Supernatural in my life. So now my brain hurts and I'm like, holy, I'm just sitting here like, oh my God, there's just so many directions that they could, that they could go with this. Yeah. And like, what is the purpose? Yeah. I feel like I'm in a philosophy class. <laughs> I mean, Supernatural feels like that a lot of the time anyway. So um, I know I am a big fan of the idea of this potentially leading to like a continuation at some point, um, especially given like, how the main show ended and how much Jensen has spoken about doing a continuation if the finale wasn't satisfying. So for three years, for three three, years, for a long time, for a long time. So, (laughs) so yeah. And also like, I don't know, with all the wonky things people have noticed about season 15 and the finale, I just, I kind of wonder about, you know, this whole Chuck one theory. Um, oh I know God. Jen, you're like the preeminent scholar in this in this chat. If you want to give that a quick explanation for anybody who might be unfamiliar, but oh my God, like I won't go like too far like too far into it because I'm pretty sure that'll wind up being another episode. But essentially, <laughs> <laughs> um, I first saw it on like Tumblr in like December 2020. Someone, I, I wish I remembered who it was, but God, my dash was going a mile a minute at that point. Everyone was still doing all the memes and the shit posts and shit about like the season finale. <laughs> But someone had put, like, side-by-side photos of Jack's outfit going from, like, yellow to, like, a beigey white to white-white by the end of the um, 19th episode. And that kind of, like, stuck in my brain, but I didn't want to think about the finale at that time. So I was just kind of like, I'm not going to pay attention to you. Go away. But it slowly started, like, I I rewatched season 15, and other people started to notice this, too. And it was basically that the the end of 1519 and all of 1520 basically kind of matches Becky's first batch of notes for Chuck in the fourth uh, Atomic Monsters, the fourth episode of the season. Basically, that truck that Chuck fixed, quote unquote, um, whatever it was needed that she touched upon. But the reason why the Chuck One theory exists is because basically of that. It's basically because of Atomic Monsters, which was filmed first in the season. And directed by one Jensen Ackles, in fact. So. Exactly. But basically, the, like, the theory is that Chuck wasn't really defeated. Like, at least my flavor of the Chuck theory. Like, I'll just speak personally because I don't like to speak for others because everyone kind of has a different pathway to this. But my personal theory is that Chuck kind of manipulated everyone throughout the entire season and basically primed Jack to become a new vessel, hopped into him and was like, bye, and just uh, skedaddled away and put his toys back up on the shelf. And, And that Sam and Dean aren't really in like heaven heaven or like if they are, it's heavily um, altered. And the reason why people kind of like go with that is because in the fourth episode of the 15th season, Atomic Monsters, when Chuck is talking to Becky, trying to get his motivation back, he's, there is a a mantle over her fireplace with a bunch of like action figures. Chuck takes one down, fiddling with it, puts it back up. And at the end of that episode, he, he Thanos snapped his, her family away and then her. (laughs) Uh, And what he said was, they're not dead. They're just away. 
you know? So I feel like that episode is really, and like, again, I'm not going into every single detail here, but that essentially the fight isn't over me. I call it the dark night of the soul plot beat. Basically the, our heroes are at their lowest. All, all hope seems lost, but the key here is that Sam and Dean don't know it yet. And it it is not the finale at all. And and I feel like because the general audience has also had kind of like a lot of criticism for the finale, it wasn't just like the fans or anything. It was, it was literally a, I feel like a majority of anyone who watched the show. It feels like it doesn't feel like a finale. It just feels like a problem that the main villain set up for them, you know? So whenever, whenever there's continuation talk, I'm just kind of like, you got, they got so much to go yeah. through. And I should add that Rob Benedict, who plays Chuck, he was asked his, what his finale would have been at Dallas con. And he did Chuck one truth. He, he was like, I, he was like, I think it would have been cool if you have the last scene of whatever the last scene in the finale was, and then it zooms out and it's a book page and then I'm closing the book and you keep zooming out and it's me. So I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) interesting. Um, (laughs) The thing that really kind of, I don't know, and to like kind of connect this to you know, the prequel with the Samulet, the God tracker being a focal point in the Impala with that little like introductory bit with Dean and like what why like why is he telling the story what is his goal like why is why the amulet there like what is the end goal of this show about you know his his parents because we did it's not like we didn't learn anything about them on the show and as excited as I am for it it definitely wasn't the thing that people thought would be the the next installment in this franchise mm-hmm. was about them and so I'm like really wondering why this why the show this... has to justify its existence yeah so why why this where is it going but like the samulet is i think why we brought up the chuck one theory yeah is basically that necklace became synonymous with finding god and knowing mm-hmm. that god was around you know so if it's hanging from his dash, my first thought was, you know, and I feel like other people thought this too, is he, is that like a warning signal for him? Is he trying to avoid God? And so if it starts to glow, is he going to try and hide? Or is he trying to find God? And that's, you know, because that's yeah. what that necklace has ever, ever really always been used for in the end. Yeah. And where the hell did he get it? Where did it come from? <laughs> <laughs> it got lost. Where did it go? <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and yeah, and really the last time we saw it, like physically is when Chuck came back to them at the end of season, season 11, 11, Yeah, which also was a Robbie episode. So it's kind of <laughs> like, oh my God, it's going to be so frustrating. We're just thinking having- about doing it just because we love, universally pretty much love Robbie's episodes. We're thinking we might do like a little Robbie natural in the winter break. But anyway, because there's so much good stuff there to connect to this prequel, <laughs> I'm sure. So there's so much um, good stuff there and there's so much more theorizing to do, but I'm wondering yeah. to bring it back to as time goes by, do we have any thought last thoughts about things we've missed that we haven't touched upon yet there? Lydia, Rachel. Um, Emma, um, I know you, you said that we should, we might want to touch on the, the lyrics to the song as time goes by. Yes. <laughs> okay. So oh, just real quick before we do that, um, 
I also happen to know because my friend sent me all of her conversation with Gail McKinney that he listened to this song every minute of the day when they weren't filming because he wanted it ingrained in his mind that this was a song that comforted John. So going forward, we can now look at the lyrics because um, I think that's that's a cool little fun I love fact. all these little like inside <laughs> details. This is fascinating. Thanks, I love having you as a story. Thanks, Lydia's friend. <laughs> Thanks, Rosh. Yes. Um because when I first saw the title of the episode, you know, there's a lot of time travel episodes in Supernatural, and pretty much any song that references time gets used as a title at some point. But as time goes by, most people know from the movie Casablanca, which Henry even mentions, but in World, for Henry, it's got this really close connection to his relationship with his son, because it's what plays on a music box uh, that he got his son to comfort him. But I pinged on it, because let me pull these up, because the lyrics feel... Loki very relevant to the Winchester's ongoing struggle of always having to deal with another apocalypse <laughs> and with the like tr- desperately trying to break free from the narrative but always getting drawn back to fate and Chuck's plan for them and the one thing that caught my eye was moonlight and love songs never out of date hearts full of passion jealousy and hate woman needs man and man must have his mate that no one can deny and is that not the heaven <laughs> interference yeah in a song from yeah 80 years ago yeah maybe that's why they included it in the the then and the then yeah you know yeah and it's the next the chorus of the song is it's still the same old story a fight for love and glory a case of do or die and i just want these characters to have a chance to do and not die (laughs) Die. yeah please (laughs) i'm in a class i'm taking right now which is a television writing course in the first class we had we had to talk about what our favorite tv shows were and i was so wrestling myself of do i actually say supernatural because that's the truth but i was worried people would judge me and i just went with it and my professor was like oh my god no i love supernatural too i'm glad it ended though there's only so many times sam and dean can die and i don't think she was ready for the ferocity which i replied but they shouldn't have (laughs) happened they should have i mean eventually yes but i just want wanted them in their old age yes we <laughs> should have died free from an audience yes uh, so sorry to everyone in my class who was like oh we know exactly what kind of person emma is right and <laughs> i wrote my final entire final paper I ever wrote in college i went to school for screenwriting and i took a tv and like whatever class in my final semester and i wrote my final essay on supernatural and its longevity and it was only season nine at that time i didn't know it was <laughs> continue (laughs) Uh, but um wow yeah I kind of you know what would be really amazing if they actually titled one of the episodes as time goes by uh for me yeah um I wonder if they'll they'll use that song song at all yeah like hell even in the pilot like just have John whistling it or something like oh my god we'll go crazy damn (laughs) I'm so stuck on this like man needs woman like fate thing in the lyric too because like, to me, the whole show of Supernatural is, like, fighting against that. And, like, you don't have to do what is pre-planned of you for you. They're, like, you can make your own sort of path. You can, you don't have to bow to, like, a greater power, you know? That's why I just think the show is, like, so inherently incredibly Jewish. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> thank you, Eric Crickby. But I just think this lyric with that and with this episode about Henry and like John's childhood and then like thinking about the 
prequel, which like the single log line for it, which I think, God, I don't have it right in front of me, but it has something to do, like, I'm pretty sure it uses the word fate in it. And the like, epic love story of John epic, and Mary and how yeah. the love saved the world or whatever. I'm yeah. sorry, but the word epic belongs to Logan Eccles and Veronica Mars, and you're not allowed to have it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, like, thinking about that as, like, a tagline now and, like, in conjunction with the lyric of the song, but then also the themes of Supernatural as a show and how it's, like, so anti-fate and predestiny. And I'm, like, I, like, log- it, oh, hang on. You know what? I'm going to, I have yeah. to bring it up because... <laughs> The log line really bugged me for a specific reason. The Winchester is the epic untold love story of how John met Mary and how they put it all on the line, not to only save their love, but the entire world. Now, okay, I don't know about okay. you, but to me, I was like, like, how the hell does their love save the world? Well, because they gave birth to the two dudes who stopped multiple apocalypses, right? Yeah. But it's, it's weird that it's framed like that because yeah. the only reason why we know that they were put together was for a specific reason. Yeah. Um, so like if they saved the world by having Sam and Dean, they only ever did that as far as we know right now due to heaven interference. So like there, the possibility that like sort of contradiction is really fascinating to me and like really itching in my brain. And I wonder how much of the prequel is going to be like them fighting against this story like that like that's part of the tragedy of it you know like I don't know I could be totally off base but like that's the thing that always sticks at the back of my mind like how much of the show is going to be them fighting being together until until they're forced together in the end and that's our tragic ending everyone else before John and Mary everyone else everyone else before John and Mary forced together so that's like where my brain is kind of at as far as like what the show might look like and that lyric in this episode isn't helping it's definitely just feeding it so (laughs) half of me had wondered if they were shown kind of like what happens in the future you know how like Mm -hmm. okay okay basically you know how Zachariah shoved Dean into the quote-unquote future and Mm -hmm. was like this is what happens if you don't say yes this is what happens Mm -hmm. So I had wondered if there might be a similar situation where they are shown what's going to happen if you two do not. And so that makes me feel like (laughs) And and just going like with the whole angel mind wipe thing, we know canonically that happens. I mean, we know it happens at least once and how they have that tool at their disposal. And if there's going to be angel interference, we know angels showed Sam and Dean specific things to manipulate them. So I can imagine that John and Mary will put aside other things to be like, okay, well, we got to, we got to be in this together because otherwise the world's going to end, you know, their own end verse. I think like the last thing that I just like want to touch on as far as theories and unreliable narrators is that Robbie, especially 
as a writer on Supernatural played so much with perspective and narration and who is telling the story. You know, he wrote Baby, which is like from the perspective of their car. And like, it's one of the best episodes of the show. And he wrote Bitten, which is a really interesting sort of outsider view of how scary Sam and Dean can be. And and then Metafiction in season nine, which is like the best episode of season nine, which is like such like peak unreliable narrator sort of episode. And so I just think the space there for any of these theories to kind of come into play with the prequel as much as it did with the original show and even in this episode is um there's a lot of it and I'm intrigued to see how they fill. Speaking of that, Robbie breaks the fourth wall too with was it meta meta fiction and fan fiction. And fan fiction. Because Dean spikes the lens. He like looks straight at the camera like he's on the office. But specifically in metafiction, you know, Metatron's like talking to us. You know, he's like looking at the camera, talking to us. So it'd be interesting to see if Robbie also breaks that wall too. Mm -hmm. Um, Though if if John turns to the camera and starts talking to me, I'm like, (laughs) a little bit not going (laughs) to Yeah, I don't think we want to go on for too long. I feel like we've been talking for a long time already. Uh, so shall we move into our our closing game that's going to be following yeah. us through at least this this pre-season mini-series uh rachel would you like to explain yeah. the rules for our six degrees of supernatural oh yes so we're gonna do just like a little game just to switch things up a little bit um and we have a round of six degrees of supernatural planned i have a celebrity randomizer in front of me It's going to give us some actors. I won't pick that many, maybe like three or four. And we're going to do our best to connect those actors or that famous person to Supernatural. Wait, I have to do this one first because we were talking about this before we started recording and Jen actually brought up this person. So we're going to start with Woody Harrelson. (laughs) Can we do it? life finds a way life finds a way oh man (laughs) jesus the only thing i've ever actually seen woody harrelson harrelson in is hunger games same same which has (laughs) a expansive cast it does he was in uh he was in wait am i mixing people up was he in three billboards he is in three billboards yeah uh Oh my gosh, which has Catherine Newton. Newton. That's Kathy, yeah, it's Kathy. Oh my god. Oh my god. Catherine Newton is in Supernatural. That was easy. That was easy. Wait, I totally forgot she was in that movie. (laughs) Wow. Played every major A-list actress's daughter at some point in the past five years. Wow. Catherine Newton was um the girl who got murdered in that. Yeah. Oh my god. That was easy. Okay, Okay, that was all right. Michael B. Jordan. Let's see if we can do this one. Um oh lord. Oh, I've got it. Black Panther. Okay. <laughs> Logan, or not Logan Eccles, Jason Doring plays, is in Supernatural, who is in Veronica Mars with Tessa Thompson, who is in Creed with Michael B. Jordan. Nice. That was, that was smooth. Great. How many, how many Veronica Mars references has, have you dropped in this episode now, Emma? Honestly, too many. It was a show that was very informative <laughs> to me, but if we're talking about I mean, finales same. that don't exist, those the Veronica oh. Mars finales count. They're dead to yes. me. Yes. Um, all right. How about this one might be really funny to try to do. I don't, it might be impossible though. Um, Carol Burnett. I just think of Carol Burnett on Glee and that does not help me at all. (laughs) No, it does. 
I got it. I got it. Oh my god. Wait. No. I got it. I got. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like I just got like a brain. Carol Burnett was on Glee with the actress who plays Sue Sylvester, who I can't remember her name, Jane Lynch, who Jane was Lynch. also a reporter in the West Wing, where Jim Beaver was also a reporter, and Jim oh. Beaver played Bobby on Supernatural. Bam. My my mind went Carol if Carol Burnett was on Glee, so it's Corey Monty who was in the second episode ever. That too, but I yeah. like my brain was just like Jane Lynch for some reason. <laughs> that was actually way easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> I thought that was gonna be a really hard one. <laughs> I think I must have stopped watching Glee before she was on it. Anyway. Uh probably she was she was she was Sue's mom, you know, that's kind of where oh, the show started. Yeah, I don't remember. Oh. I don't remember that. I stopped watching at the end of season three, so. I have seen all of Glee thrice. Um, don't, don't judge me, but Glee. You are a strong person. You're the strongest amongst all of us. I, I only didn't watch season six because after Corey died, I just felt really sad. And that's when I started watching Supernatural. <laughs> to be blindsided by the fact that he was also on Supernatural. Oh, no. Uh, the second episode. That's yeah, I was like. <laughs> 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 um. Interruption brought to you by my dogs, Cass and Charlie. They <laughs> agree. They agree. Let's do one more and then we'll close out our episode. Give me someone I know. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, this might be really funny. I don't know if it'll be possible, but uh, Prince Harry. Oh shit. Surely there must be there some must be. crossover. Someone must have been on Suits. I feel like it, there, there has to be some crossover somewhere with Suits, right? There has to be. My- oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Um, wait, did I? Wait. <laughs> no, I did. No. Okay. So Prince Harry is married to Mer- Meghan Markle, who was on Suits with, cannot remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays Lewis Litt was in an episode of Leverage, which had starred Christian Christian Kane, who was on an episode of Super- Supernatural in season 15, Last Call. There we go. Boom. I'm happy you went that route because I was going to go the Glee route again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, no, no, I wasn't because I was thinking of white collar and not suits. I wish they would stop making shows about suits. That would be great. <laughs> we all watch so much TV and somehow watched... this game has just become down to the same three TV shows. I know. Wow. <laughs> no, you know what really bugs me is the fact of how many references to X-Files Sam and Dean make, especially at the beginning of this of the show, and the fact that their grandfather is the guy who played Mitch the FBI Pelleggi. guy. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, guys, your grandfather is like another like main character. This is odd. Who we will be meeting next week. Oh, yeah, we will be meeting next week. That's one of the things that I always think about, like when you reference real life things in TV shows and then you have an actor who is like on the real life thing or somehow connected to the real life thing on the show. Like, do they just have like a celebrity doppelganger in that world? I'm going to take this opportunity for us to reel it back in to as time Thank you. Thank you, Emma. We're going to be here for a while. But we just talked about Mitch Pelleggi, who's going to be in the next episode uh, that we'll be discussing in our podcast episode that is dropping two weeks from today on August 25th. I just did math in my head. (laughs) Impressive. We just spent a solid chunk of this episode talking about John's backstory, even if we happily digressed quite a bit. And so next week we get to dive into Mary Winchester herself. Mary Campbell. Thank you for listening. This has been the prequel at the end of the book podcast with Rachel, Jen, and Lid. 
You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at End of the Book Pod, Tumblr at End of the Book Podcast, and YouTube at Prequel at the End of the Book. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Until next time.